Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, now Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Phil Chan, Medical Director of Rhode Island Department of Health. Dr. Chan, always good to hang out with you. I'm excited about today's episode. So we have Dr. Tracy Jackson with us today. And one of the brilliant minds at the Rhode Island Department of Health. It's been fun for me over the years to get to know Dr. Jackson and work with her. So Dr. Jackson, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No, we're glad to have you. This is fun. So, so Dr. Jackson, I know you from working at the Rhode Island Department of Health. It's been fun to work with you. But can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Who is Dr. Tracy Jackson? What do you do at the Rhode Island Department of Health? Sure. So I'm an epidemiologist at the Department of Health. I sit within our Center of Health Data and Analysis. So I do a lot of data analytic work to measure various health issues that are affecting our Rhode Island population. Um, I primarily work with our hospital discharge data, which is the data set that gives us information about hospitalizations and emergency department visits in the state, so why people are coming to our hospitals. And I also do a lot of work with our health surveys, primarily our youth risk behavior survey, which helps us measure health issues affecting our middle school students and high school students in the state. And I also work a lot with our adult health survey, which is the Rhode Island Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, which is the source of the adverse childhood experiences information that we're going to be talking about today. But that data source allows us to collect information on health behaviors and various health outcomes among adults in the state. Great. And I just want to say thank you, Tracy, so much for for joining us today. Uh, I will say uh, we're going to talk about something I'm a little bit less familiar with as an adult physician, but uh, you just mentioned it. But adverse childhood experiences, also called ACEs, what are those? So they're generally defined as stressful or traumatic events in childhood that can interfere with the child's sense of safety, stability, bonding, and overall well-being. And there are various types of ACEs, um, but includes things like experiencing violence or abuse or neglect in childhood, being a witness to violence, either in the home or the surrounding community, or various household factors like having a family member with a substance abuse problem or a mental health problem or any other kind of factors that would cause instability in the household, such as the death of a parent or a parent being incarcerated. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jackson. And as we talk about these adverse childhood experiences, I wonder if you can give us a little historical perspective on these. Like, you know, how are they first described? Because it's not like this is a Rhode Island thing. You know, it's really a, a national thing. So you could talk a little bit about like how they're first described and then maybe how common these are nationally. Right. So one of the more com- or the more well-known studies on ACEs was conducted in the late 90s by Kaiser Permanente, and they did a study among about 17,000 California residents who were HMO members, and they had them complete a survey about their childhood and various childhood experiences, and they found there was a strong association between childhood adverse experiences and various negative health outcomes later in life such as heart disease, diabetes, and earlier death. Um, And overall, there's been various studies from several different sources of ACEs, and it's estimated about 60, 61% of adults have experienced at least one type of ACE during their childhood. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jackson. And you have done some research on this topic. And, you know, as we're talking about this too, you know, I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. So obviously, you know, as a parent, this is all very, you know, very important to all of us. Uh, but uh, tell us about your study a little bit and what uh, what you found. So I mentioned there were a few numbers from various data sources, but we hadn't really collected this data in Rhode Island in quite some time. So 
we put um, a series of questions about adverse childhood experiences on the behavioral risk factor surveillance system survey that we conduct every year. And the survey generally collects information about chronic disease prevalence, demographics, healthcare access. And there's also room for states to add kind of additional questions of topic areas of interest. So since, this, since ACES was an area we hadn't really had much information on, we put it on our survey in the 2019 and 2020 survey years. And overall, there were about eight different ACEs that were covered that we asked about on our survey. So we asked participants if they were ever a victim of abuse in their childhood. So physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whether they had a household member who had a mental health problem or a substance abuse problem, uh, whether they ever witnessed domestic violence in the household, whether their parents were divorced or separated, or whether somebody in their household was incarcerated for a period of time during their childhood. Um, so we were interested in first measuring what's the overall prevalence of ACEs in Rhode Island. Are these measures similar to what we're seeing in other states? And again, like what are some of the more common types of ACEs that Rhode Island adults are reporting? And then we were interested in looking at what is the relationship between these adverse experiences and some of the other health outcomes that we track. So we, since there were eight different measures of ACEs, we kind of grouped people based on the number of ACEs that they experienced. We had people that had no ACEs and we grouped together people that had a few ACEs. So those that reported one to three ACEs. And then we grouped together our higher ACEs group. So those that reported four to, ACE, four to eight ACEs. And we look at the prevalence of various health outcomes among these three groups. Uh, Dr. Tracy Jackson is who we're talking to, talking about adverse childhood experiences, uh, things that happen to kids in their childhood that really do affect how they grow up, Nash, grow up really quite, and how it affects their adult health outcomes, which I think is one of those things where I don't know that this is necessarily something people necessarily thought would happen, right? In other words, that things that happen in your childhood actually affect how you end up as an adult and how it can affect things like heart disease. And you quoted the Kaiser Permanente study, which really first, you know, described this. But let's get into your research in Rhode Island. You published this in the Rhode Island Medical Journal. This it was actually in 2021. But can we talk a little bit about what what was the data that you found? Like, and you know, help us walk through some of that data. Because really gets to that issue. Like, and I, I think it's just really important. Like, there are things that happen to us when we're little kids that do affect our ultimate health outcome. You know, like maybe our risk of substance abuse is higher or other adverse diseases. And, and it's kind of interesting. Like parents often joke that, you know, I didn't get an owner's menu when I had a kid. And we're not talking about things that happen to where parents are making judgments. We're not talking about, you know, making decisions about, you know, what you let your kid watch on TV or, or that kind of stuff. It's not these little things. It's these really significant events. They're called adverse childhood experiences for a reason. Um, but can you tell us, what did your research show? So overall, we saw about 63% of Rhode Island adults reported at least having one type of adverse childhood experience. And the most common types were emotional abuse, having divorced or separated parents or household substance abuse. And then when we looked at the relationship between adverse childhood experiences and various health outcomes, we saw pretty strong associations between those that had higher levels of ACEs were more likely to have various poor health outcomes. For example, we asked participants just to rate their general health on a scale of excellent to poor. And then we looked at the, per the percentages that said their health was either fair or poor. And when we looked at the no ACE group, about 8% reported that their health was in this fair or poor category. When we looked at those that had a few ACEs, 12% of them reported that their health was fair or poor. And then we looked at the high ACE group, 21% reported that their overall health was fair or poor. So about 
nearly three times as high. Yeah, that's that's to me, I feel like that's worth repeating. Like that's a number. Like so people who reported no adverse childhood experiences in their life describe their health as fair to poor. That was maybe one out of 12. But when you talk about children who have more than four adverse childhood experiences with their adults, you're now talking about one out of four. So one out of 12, one out of four, those are totally different numbers. I mean, did that surprise you at all? A little bit, just just seeing the numbers themselves. It, it is pretty shocking, but I mean, it is similar to what other studies have found too. So not a complete surprise, but it is, you know, seeing the numbers in our own state here and realizing that how much of a effect these things can have. Dr. McDonald, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, we, you and I actually have an interesting perspective on this because you are a pediatrician, uh, been practicing for a while, and I am an adult physician. I take care of a lot of adolescents, young adults, folks uh, with HIV, sexual health, uh, substance use, mental health. And from my perspective, a lot of people that I care for, uh, HIV, substance use, mental health as adults, uh, do report uh, certainly some adverse child events. And I'm just curious from your standpoint, Dr. McDonald, as you have been in as a pediatrician, how do you look at this? Do you get these stories from parents? How common is it? You know, what do you hear from from children on the front lines? You know, and this is a great question. And it really points to like, what do you do in the exam room with this, right? Because like when I'm taking care of a child whose mom has passed away from an overdose, I, I, I can't fix that. I can talk to the surviving parent about it and more often than not the grandparents. And we can talk about strategies for that, but it's like, these things happened. And, and it's like, I can't undo that. And I really think it speaks to these larger issues of like, you know, when that parent who died of an overdose may have had their own adverse childhood experiences, you kind of see this vicious cycle starting to form here. And there's only so much I can do in the exam room. Now, having said that, you know, knowing these things does make, you know, forewarned is forearmed, right? But it really gets that large issue of like, what do you do with this information? Some of these are difficult problems to solve. I find a lot of it though is, is best handled by honesty. Like, I mean, when I deal with a family where they've lost um, a parent, you know, what I tell the grandparents or the surviving parents, you answer the questions as you get them, as honestly as you can, and only answer the question you got. Because a lot of times the little guys are asking a question, they just want an honest answer, but they don't really need to hear 45 minute speech on anything. But I really think it gets to another issue, Dr. Jackson, which I think is kind of what Dr. Chan's leading up to is one of the things I see as a pediatrician is the children, but then these problems go forward and Dr. Chan sees them as adults. And it's like, you really see the cycle continues a little bit, but let's get back to you, Dr. Jackson. What are some of the factors that put children more at risk? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Jackson? Some prior research has indicated being in a low socioeconomic status. So those that are in of low income who have a high level of stress are more likely to have children that have adverse childhood experiences. Caregivers themselves who have previously been victims of abuse in childhood might be more likely to perpetuate that as they're a parent themselves. Living in a community with high rates of violence has been associated with adverse childhood experiences as well. So a lot of it is kind of community level factors that can influence these things. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jackson. As you're talking too, I'm also reminded, of course, that uh, you know we see people that have had tremendously difficult life, you know, childhood life experiences, and yet they turn out fine or they do okay. And I feel like there's lots of people, as you're alluding to, right, that uh, do experience uh, an adverse childhood event. Do you have a sense of 
of why some people, quote, turn out okay, can are, are more resilient, can handle it, and why some people later in life uh, experience uh, significant, you know, mental health consequences, you know, substance use, et cetera. I think it's kind of hard to tease out some of those individual level factors. I mean, there are ways to kind of reduce the effect of ACEs through some interventions around coping skills and early intervention to help parents or cope with stressors. But a lot of it, you know, it is hard to fully understand why some people are more affected than others. These are significant events that occur in a child's life. A parent getting incarcerated, a parent dying, surviving a divorce, um, you know, witnessing domestic violence. These are just four examples, but there's a lot of these are very significant events that occur in a child's life. And they're, they're traumatic and it really does affect the way a child's brain works. And it affects long-term health outcomes. Like, in other words, there's data, research, not just yours, others, that shows, and it's done this for over decades, that these are adults who are more likely to have, if you had more adverse childhood experiences, more likely to have mental health problems, more likely to have heart disease, more likely to have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, more likely to experience binge drinking, you know, more likely to have substance use and overdose. So, I mean... These are serious issues. Like, and I often think of these as like, these are the upstream issues. Like if we really can prevent adverse childhood experiences, you really do change a child's life. And I, I like the way Dr. Chan brought out earlier. Like, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I survived these things that built character. And I think that can be a little bit, I mean, when people say it was character building, I think they're kind of glossing over something. Maybe, maybe being a touch oversensitive about that too, because going through these adverse experiences are hard. And I don't know that we know why some people do okay with it. Some people don't, but they're just, these are very challenging things, but it really gets this issue about, you know, what can you do about things like this? And I think you've, you've, you've cited in your article, some things that make sense. Like what are some things we can do to help people with these adverse childhood experiences? Uh, well, first, generally speaking, it helps to kind of reduce the stigma around seeking treatment for mental health or substance abuse among parents and general people in the community. And there are also aside from that, community resources or interventions that can kind of reduce some of the economic burden that can lead to ACEs. For example, research has found that things like child tax credits or child care subsidies can help parents who are suffering from economic stresses help them afford child care and having better access to child care can then reduce factors like abuse or neglect. Um, also, flexible work schedules help parents keep their jobs, which can reduce, again, some economic stressors that then are associated with adverse childhood outcomes. Wonderful. And I, I sort of thinking about myself as a, as a parent, but what advice would you have for sort of an everyday parent and, and how, what would you tell them in terms of preventing this with their own children? Just generally to seek out help if they need it, if it, if it is their own kind of substance abuse or mental health issues that are a problem, there is help available to that. And some parents might not realize that, you know, their mental health can have a long-term impact on their child's health. So kind of helping them understand that, you know, their health and their well-being also has an impact on their child's health, you know, might help them, help push them towards getting more help for their own health issues. You know, I think you bring up a lot of good points, Dr. Jackson. I mean, I, I guess one of the things I think about as a pediatrician is let's prevent what you can prevent, right? And, and, and treat what you can treat, right? So in other words, if you're a parent who has a substance use problem, you know, 
let's get you into substance use treatment because then we don't have to have a child grow up with a, you know, an overdose death as an adverse childhood experience. If you're a family that's suffering from domestic violence, let's get the family to counseling so we don't have to deal with domestic violence, the family, so your child isn't growing up in a home where there's domestic violence. If you're a family where there's been an incarceration, that's preventable too, right? In other words, and these are things where there's social supports, but it really gets to the large issue. Like, you know, it's funny, you talked about tax credits you know, for families. It's one of those things where it'll be interesting during the pandemic, you saw a lot of economic relief for families. Um, and I do wonder if we're going to see that as a positive impact in our culture. You know, those studies aren't done yet, but it does make me wonder, like, you know, if families get tax credits for kids and have less economic burden, it does make you wonder, will they do better? And if, if families had flexible work schedules, which I think you're seeing more during, you know, they call it the great resignation, but it's really the great upgrade. I think, you know, families are just finding better jobs. But I think you're seeing more and more employers saying we got to find a way to be a flexible employer, not to be that greedy employer that constantly just makes people work harder and longer, um, which is interesting. But I think it really gets back to like prevent what you can prevent, treat what you can treat. You know, and if you know families, you know, it, it's always tragic when a marriage ends in divorce, but it really gets to the thing where it's like that too is preventable. It's easier said than done, but that can be preventable too. And it really gets like, you know, we, we don't need parents feeling guilty about their divorce. It's never what I'm about, but it's more about like how do we prevent things that we can prevent and then just deal with things that have happened, right? Cause you can't change the past. You can own it and try to move forward with it. And, and sometimes it's just sort of like saying, how do we solve problems here? But I think we, it would be good to summarize because this is a very interesting topic, but like, let's just go summarize. So what were the eight adverse childhood experiences that we surveyed here in Rhode Island? So there's a list of eight of those things you talked about earlier. Let's close up our episode talking about those eight, just list those eight events. We have them top of mind. Sure. So household mental illness, uh, household substance abuse. So if somebody in the home had an alcohol or drug problem, somebody in the home was incarcerated, whether the parents were divorced or separated, whether there was household domestic violence, so the child witnessed violence between their parents or other adults in the household, and whether the child was a victim of emotional abuse, physical abuse, or sexual abuse. Yeah, it's a tough topic to talk about, but an important one. I think, you know, you know, kind of the theme I'd end up to be a little bit optimistic is we're going to prevent what we can prevent and treat what we can treat. Because, sir, you can't always prevent mental illness, but we can treat it. And I think one of the things you really see in our culture is we're as a culture that doesn't always embrace treating complicated problems. But those eight adverse childhood experiences you just, you know, reminded of us of, they're complicated problems. They're either preventable or treatable. I think that's a, that's a positive note to land on. And I think it really gets that larger issue of like, you know, we as a culture benefit when we all have our health care optimized. And it really just to me underscores the importance of public health, but really more like reasonable social supports that are evidence-based that make a difference. So as we come to the end of our episode, it's time for Stephanie to cue the music here. But Dr. Chan, we're getting ready for the final word with Dr. Chan. So Dr. Chan, what's your final word for today? Thank you, Dr. McDonald. Thank you so much, Dr. Jackson, for joining us. It was certainly a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in closing, I do want to leave our listeners with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your week. And here it is, something, uh, a quote by a famous American psychiatrist, Dr. Menninger, that I came across uh, doing a little background reading. What's done to children, they will do to society. And I'm just reminded as a parent myself that I am a role model. And for those of us that are parents, we are always role models uh, and that we do need to set the example because our children do learn from us. Uh, and uh, we want them to be healthy, obviously, and, uh, and to grow up healthy as well. So thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer. I want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director. It was great to have Dr. Tracy Jackson, the Rhode Island Department of Health Post today. 
I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Have a good and keep up the great.